You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today is July 23rd, 2023, and this is episode 235 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we're going to listen to a conversation about an amazing lighthouse location in South Africa, complete with a hotel and restaurant. You know, Cindy, there's been severe weather in many parts of the country, actually many parts of the world lately, and we want to send along our best wishes to everyone who's been affected by all that. It's been hot here on the New Hampshire seacoast, but at least we've escaped the flooding that's been happening uh, not very far away. How's your summer going, Cindy? Pretty good, thanks. Trying to stay cool lately, for sure. Uh, I think it might be time for a dip in the ocean. (laughs) Sounds like a good plan to me. A uh, little, little muggy today. Meanwhile, it's been in the triple digits in Tucson, where my mom is. But monsoon season has finally started. It's raining in Arizona. Well, that's good news. Well, we, we could keep talking about the weather for a while, but uh, we should probably move on. There's been so much uh, crazy weather, we could talk all day about that. But let's get to today's interview. Before we do that, I just want to mention something very special that the U.S. Lighthouse Society is doing. We're having a dance contest. We are asking people to dance at their favorite lighthouse to an original song called Meet Me at the Lighthouse by my friend Joe Rivers. We're on the horizon Where the sky meets the sea Looking for a safe return From our journey It can be one person, it can be a group of people, a lighthouse staff or volunteers, a group of kids from a dancing school, cheerleaders, or whatever. The idea is that it's based around National Lighthouse Day, which is August 7th, but the dance can be done anytime as long as the video is submitted by August 14th. So, Cindy, we are planning to do a little dancing of our own. We actually had a rehearsal the other day. Are you ready? I think so. (laughs) Yes, so we had a wedding ceremony at Portsmouth Harbor Light on Saturday, July 15th. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Michelle and I were there at the Lighthouse and our great one of our great volunteers, Dave Garabedian, too. So then um, right after that wedding ceremony, when you came over to the Lighthouse to practice, um, I, I'd say we pretty much figured out our dance routine then. So we'll see. We will. I wouldn't exactly call it choreography. I don't know if I'd go <laughs> that far, but uh, we'll have fun. That's the main idea. And uh, I want to mention there will be cash prizes awarded for this for the most creative videos, dance videos. The idea behind this is that we're really trying to foster a feeling of community among Lighthouse groups and to celebrate what Lighthouses mean to all of us. And again, of course, uh, to simply have fun. All the details are online and you can download the song uh, online as well. Just go to the front page of the U.S. Lighthouse Society website at uslhs.org. Look for What's New near the middle of the page and click on National Lighthouse Day Dance Contest. And you'll be taken to a page where there's all the details about the contest. We've got at least 25 or so organizations or individuals uh, that say they're going to do something for this. And I'd love to see that number go a lot higher. So let's move on. Cindy, please help me tell everyone about Seal Point Lighthouse and today's guests. Sure, Jeremy. Seal Point Lighthouse is on Cape St. Francis in South Africa, close to the southeasternmost point on the continent. At 91 feet tall, it's the tallest masonry building on the coast of South Africa. Construction began in 1874 and materials had to be hauled by ox cart to the remote location. The builder was civil engineer Joseph Flack, who sadly died halfway through the building of the lighthouse in 1876. The light station began service on July 4, 1878. For many years, Seal Point was considered one of the most isolated staffed light stations on the South African mainland. The journey by ox cart from the nearest community over a beach and sand dunes was long and arduous. Eventually, a township developed near the light station and it was no longer so isolated. Seal Point Lighthouse has been developed into a major attraction in recent years with a boutique hotel, a restaurant, and more. There's also a studio called Salt with yoga, Pilates, fitness, and dance instruction. Visitors can also climb the 154 steps inside the Lighthouse Tower for a spectacular look at the Cape St. Francis seascape. 
Paul Duval is the CEO of Petrol Ventures, the company that has developed the light station site. And Wesley Randalls is the chef and manager of the Nevermind restaurant at the light station. I had a chance to speak with Paul and Wesley recently via Zoom. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking today with Paul Duval, uh, who is the CEO of Petrol Ventures, and Wesley Randalls, the chef and manager of the Nevermind Restaurant, and both of them are talking to me from the Seal Point Lighthouse in South Africa. Thank you so much, Paul and Wesley, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you. I want to talk about the uh, your operation there, which looks fantastic. I've been looking at the website and all the different aspects to... Uh, the, uh, the accommodations, the restaurant, and other things there as well. So we'll get to that in a minute, but let's just start with a little bit of history of the lighthouse there. So you're on uh, an area called Cape St. Francis. Actually, it's the most southeastern point. It, of, it is the most the, southeastern point on the, uh, on the continent. Yeah, on the continent, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So why was a lighthouse needed at Cape St. Francis? If you visited any part of this coast between Cape Town and Durban, really pretty much the entire sort of uh, eastern part of South African, southeastern part of the South African coastline. It's a very hazardous coastline. It's a very rough coastline, plenty of storms, plenty of uh, bad weather, strong winds. And obviously, especially before the um, Suez Canal, a very, very, uh, still is obviously a very um, high frequency uh, maritime route. So there were shipwrecks. There'd be, there'd been plenty of shipwrecks around here and you can, you know, there's plenty of history and, and so on, most of the roads in this village are named after, after various ships um, that uh, were wrecked along the coastline. Mm. So it was, I think, 1874 when it was commissioned and there was an exploratory party sent out to find the best place to put the lighthouse. And this is where they ended up. And it took about four years to reach completion in 1878. And yesterday, the 4th of July, Happy Independence Day to you. That's right. Yeah. Hundred and forty anniversary of the first lighting of the lamp. Oh, okay. Wow, cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's a big day for both of us, July 4th. Yes. yes. So happy yeah. anniversary every day after the uh, lighthouse's anniversary to you. Yeah. Thank you. But to answer your question in a short uh, in a shorter form, it's a very it can be a very treacherous piece of uh, part of the coast. As we're speaking via Zoom, our listeners, of course, can't can't see this, but you pointed before we started, you pointed the camera to the window there, and I saw some pretty uh, significant looking surf there. Uh, is that uh, pretty much an everyday occurrence there? Is the water ever calm or is it pretty much uh, always rough there? It's a very seasonal um, thing. So our storms are winter storms. So this is Southern Hemisphere winter time now. We're in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. So from, from May through to August, September, it's a um, lot of storm activity coming in typically from down in Cape Town, comes out the sort of Southern Ocean, past Cape Peninsula, and sweeps up, up this part of the coast. You get some days that it's very flat, summertime typically, lovely weather. So it's very much a winter, summer situation in terms of the roughness of the seas. Sure. Okay. Uh, so when the lighthouse was built in the 1870s, the, the Cape there was was quite remote, right, from civilization, basically. The construction must have been re- quite an undertaking. Uh, can you tell me anything about that? It's a masonry tower, so it's built from rocks. And the rocks, the view we showed you earlier, there's a, an outcrop of rock 30 meters from where we're sitting right now, which, if you look closely, they're very sharply angled. And that's because that's where the rock was uh, dressed to build the tower, massive blocks of rock. So they would light fires, put cold water on, lever them open and, you know, dress, get the rocks into shape and form, and then build the tower. Um, so the logistical challenges must have been enormous. There obviously no roads at that stage. So you'd, the nearest town was a town called Humansdorp, Dorp being a village uh, in Afrikaans, uh, local language. And that's about 25 to 30 kilometers from here. And it would be done by ox wagon. And no roads. And there were no roads. And there's a, there's a river crossing that has, you have to cross a river called the Krom River, which is a fairly significant river. So significant logistical challenges. 
which really remained until, I mean, the road to this town was a dirt road until the mid 90s, roughly the mid 90s. The town's undergoing some pretty rapid development recently, but in the old days, you couldn't get it. You know, there are people actually buried pretty close to the lighthouse because there were labor, laborers that died, and there's no way you couldn't rush off to a hospital. There, was no, there were no facilities. It would take a few days to get you. Yeah, pretty isolated until the recent past, really. And uh, I just want to mention, uh, I don't think you've uh, identified uh, the fact that this is uh, Paul speaking now since we've uh, started here. Uh, Paul has been speaking. We'll get to Wesley in in just a moment. So uh, speaking of how isolated the place was, it was, of course, home to the light station there. The lighthouse was home to a, a head keeper and two assistants, as I understand, for many years. And did there it was uh, their families with them as well, keepers and their families? Is that correct? Yes, it, it is. It's a fascinating history all on its own. And, and anecdotally, about two months after we opened the restaurant, two or three months after we opened the restaurant, which was June 2021, um, I was up there and there was a couple probably in their 60s. They called me over and the, the lady said, um, are you Paul? I said, yeah. I said, well, they're just so excited about what's been done here and so on. And, and then she started crying. And I found that, I said, wow, what happened? She says, no, this house we're sitting in with a restaurant. And I grew up in this house. Wow. And her and her little sister and showed me photographs of them as tiny children playing outside the house that is now the restaurant. Wow. In those days, that was in the 60s. Her father was a lighthouse keeper. Uh-huh. His surname was Adshade. And their only communication really with the outside world was once a month, a helicopter would land from what was then called Portnet, the South African National Ports Authority. And we would land with provisions, including sweets for the children and so on. And that was how they lived. Well, that's interesting. Flying the supplies in, obviously being so remote, it was a lot lot quicker to fly fly stuff to them. Yeah, um, it was impossible to dock boats here because like we're on the edge of a point in the peninsula, even the bay was not, not docked or there was no way actually to land the boat. Okay. Um, the surf's too big. So the keepers didn't have a boat or boats at the station. Is that correct? Wouldn't have done them much good, I guess. That'd be pretty brave. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. So if there was uh, their boat accidents, shipwrecks within sight of the lighthouse, the keepers couldn't really do anything about it. No, there's a, there's a um, National Sea Rescue Institute station in St. Francis Bay. As the crow flies, probably four kilometers um, from where we're sitting right now, that you have to go around a point. We're in a bay called Seal Bay. Mm-hmm. The, the point where the lighthouse, it's got two points. Uh, the, the point where the lighthouse is situated, which is where we're sitting now, is called Seal Point. And the far point is called Shark Point. Mm-hmm. So it tells you a little bit about marine life in this area. On the other side of Shark Point, you wrap into St. Francis Bay, and that's where the NSRI is. There's a harbor, a port in there. The port was only established about like 12, 15 years ago. Before that, there was no, no real port to speak of. Mm-hmm. The local fishing boat used to go into the river. Um, so we have large squid trade here, and uh, they used to move the boats up the river before the port existed. So uh, it was so remote, as we talked about. And you talked about how they uh, brought supplies for the building uh, construction there by ox cart. But how did the keepers and families get back and forth to the nearest uh, settlement? In the old days, ox wagon, yeah, ox, ox by wagon. ox wagon, horses mm-hmm. or ox wagon, yeah. There are numerous photographs actually of, um, of 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 wagon being pulled by oxen, and you know, either on the beach to get around uh, sort of that way, or to go another way and go across the river a different way. But it would be ox wagon. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a two week journey to the town and back. Really? You'd, have to, you'd have to wait till low tide to get. You know, you couldn't travel on the soft sand on the beach, so you'd have to wait till low tide. On both sides, you'd have to wait to low tide again to cross the river. And then it's pretty much sand dunes and uh, low fame boss to try and get between here and Newman Stop. It's, it's, it would have been one of a hell of a trip. Like, I guess so. Fun. Wow. That's incredible. It's one of the more isolated places. Is that, are there, there must be other light stations on the South African coast that were similarly isolated, uh, right? Or is that one of the most isolated? Most of them, uh, well, you know, obviously quite a few in the urban areas, but uh, significant number. I think the, I think they're forty-eight around the mm-hmm. African coastline. Okay, from the Indian side up to Mozambique, wrapping all the way around, mm-hmm. uh, and some extremely, some more isolated than we are. Wow. We, we're, we're a holiday. We're a holiday 
destination. We're a tourist destination um, these days. Yeah, we're not we're not isolated any. Oh, I know that. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get to that in just a moment. But let me ask you when when did the last resident keeper at Seal Point Lighthouse leave? I think it was in the late eighties. But it's been quite a while. The light's been automated and and no resident keeper for for several for a number of years now. A number of years. In fact, one of the ex lighthouse keepers, Andres de Yaga, lived in the village until he passed away a couple of years back. After we had done the restoration and and so on, so he he managed to see it come back to life. And but he still lived in the village up the road. Uh-huh. So it was quite gratifying to see him be able to come back to the restored buildings uh, must have been fascinating for for you and for him to see uh, the progress there are there any other lighthouses in south africa that still have resident keepers just that great fish point is the only one that has an actual i'm not, I'm not sure of the reason for it i have been told I'm not. yeah i know that in canada they still have more than 50 resident keepers and it's largely to keep kind of keep an eye on the boat traffic and if there's any accidents to help out on that sort of thing so I don't know if that might be the reason at, at Fish Point. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's another reason. It's also, it can be a very inhospitable part of the coast. I think Slankorp and Cape Town, there's a, there's a keeper that is important. They, they, they have residents that live there, but they're not lighthouse keepers. Mm-hmm. So have, they typically have a precinct, like we have a precinct with a few buildings on it. So mm-hmm. most of the lighthouses have what you'd call support buildings, Perhaps the lighthouse keeper used to live there. So they now typically have a sort of a, a general manager stroke maintenance guy. But Caretaker, we might say, yeah, something like that. Good. Yeah, we have the same thing in this country as well. So is the light at Seal Point still an active aid to navigation? Very much so. Yeah, it's a fully functional lighthouse. It's a fully mm-hmm. functional lighthouse. The fog on you know, works, um, the lamp works. It's, yeah, very, very mm-hmm. much so. I'm curious, does it still have a historic lens, like an old glass lens, or does it have a more modern type type lens? The information I've got on that is that optic second order eight panel Chance Brothers dioptric rotating lens system with upper and lower belts of refracting prisms. So it is uh, what we'd consider a cla- what, classical, people often refer to them as classical lenses, classical Fresnel lenses from Chance Brothers in England which uh, in our country, we got most of them from France and a small number from Chance Brothers in England. So that's that's very interesting to me, a third order Chance Brothers lens. It must be beautiful to see. Yeah. So Paul, let's uh, get more to the present day here. What, uh, what led you to acquire and develop the Lighthouse uh, site as a tourism site? I've lived here for first 17 years in Cape St. Francis, myself and two uh, Friends of mine, also local uh, locals and business people. It's a kind of it's, it's a destination. If you live in this town, you, you walk past, run past, cycle past, drive past every day, almost every day of your life. It's very it's very much a focal point of the village um, and a very important part of the community. And it had turned into somewhat of a sort of a derelict sort of set of buildings, both the lighthouse. Um, the wings attached to the lighthouse, the original lighthouse keeper's quarters, and the buildings, the other buildings on the precinct. And all the lighthouses in this country are owned and operated by Transnet, which is the what used to be Portnet. It's now Transnet. It's the national sort of, um, logistics side, the logistics company. It's after the ports and so on. So they took a strategic decision in about 2018 to do public-private partnerships to try and sort of, um, do something at these various lighthouse sites around the country. So our timing, our approach to them was well-timed and uh, we had to go through a process of uh, submitting proposals and go through a tender process. And it was, it was exciting. I don't think anybody involved in this project anticipated how big it would become um, because once we got into it, it became clear that we had to do more than we perhaps initially thought we might have to which became very exciting and we were very fortunate to be able to have done it. But there was also, you know, it's a very important part of the community. So there was also concern that, you know, we just wanted to something, we wanted the right thing to be done there. We didn't want it spoiled by, by anyone. I think we've done that. Um, so that was the motivating, it, it was very exciting. And, but again, we put off, uh, we put off a big chunk 
you know, when, when once we got our teeth into it, we realized it's a bigger project perhaps than we had anticipated. And then the pandemic came. Uh-huh. Right. So, you know, that was that brought us challenges as well. But that's what motivated. We love the area, we locals. Yeah. So would you consider it fully restored at this point? It's never done. Uh, I, I understand that that it's never those things are never finished. There's always something to do in an environment like that. But basically, from where you started to now, um, is the general restoration complete? Would you say it's, it's pretty much? There's a, a couple of structures on the precinct that still need work, um, but it's ninety percent done. The, the main part of the of the precinct, which is the tower. And the original lighthouse keepers' quarters, which is the, I don't know if you've seen images of it architecturally, it's quite beautiful. But each there's a wing attached to each, uh, attached to the base of the tower, one on the east side, one on the west side. So those are fully restored, and we try to get them really just strip them down. We're yeah. just taking away what has been added over the years, just exposed incredible stonework and incredible timber, and uh, it's just a really beautiful. Stuff. So we nearly did 90%. Mm -hmm. So as you uh, did this work, uh, of course, the, the restoration of the buildings into usable condition was the first thing, but then you converted the, uh, the lighthouse keepers quarters into overnight accommodations for the public, right? I'm wondering what sort of, you know, what sort of look or feel you were after as uh, you uh, did that work and prepared to open. I think the way to sum that up, is we want to really just take away layers mm -hmm. um, to get back to the original, because the original is beautiful. And then that's the that was the philosophy. It took a lot of work. It was really in, in pretty bad shape mm -hmm. uh, to get back to the authenticity, stripping down the wood, restoring the ceilings, the, you know, the timber ceilings, the stonework, uh, etc. But you had to couple that with the clientele these days that they don't want to be cold, they don't want to be uncomfortable. They're going to have. They want a coffee machine. They need a. a they need to be warm with the fireplace. They need, <laughs> need Wi-Fi. Need Wi-Fi. We don't have televisions, so we we really it's a special experience. It's um, it's authentic, but it's it's comfortable. That's it's a good fair. balance. I I understand what you're saying. It's a, a yeah. I completely understand. So are the accommodations and the restaurant there open all year? Wesley? Okay, Wesley. Yeah, yeah. Open, we are open seven days a week. Um, yeah, we don't we don't close at all. Um, mm -hmm. Restaurants, that's obviously attached. You know, we felt it was important that if we're going to have the accommodation and obviously accessible to breakfast and, and uh, dinner needed to be available. So yeah, we run seven days, seven day operations. We don't, we don't close. We keep up the maintenance through the year as we go, um, mm -hmm. which is a lot of work. Um, but yeah, it's all part of it. Yeah. Do you get people from all over the world coming there to stay and to eat? Uh, or is it more local or combination, some combination? Um, a little bit of a combination. A lot of people that are curious, as you would be, um a lot of young couples it's just like it's 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 such an obscure place to stay and yeah we've had a couple of internationals from people from ireland and the us and uh, yeah we've had we've had quite a few but it's um uh, it's really not the normal thing and it's it's only been operational after two years so it's like slowly starting to slowly starting catch on yeah 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 through word of mouth we uh we still we're still trying to work hard on the marketing perspective yeah but it's it's a fun one it's it's like you always said it's you know you can stay as many five-star hotels as you want it's still it's still just a box step decorated differently this is this is not a box yeah yeah i know there's a, a lot of lighthouse buffs or lighthouse nuts and i can say that because i'm a lighthouse nut myself a lot of lighthouse nuts in this country who like to stay overnight there's quite a few in this country where you can stay overnight varying from very rustic to very luxurious, you know, bed and breakfast and things like that. Um, and uh, a lot of these uh, people who uh, do international traveling like to stay at lighthouses. You, you've you probably already had some of those type of people there. I imagine some people from the U.S. or is, is that correct? Have you got many from the U.S. yet? Um, yeah, we we have. Um, actually have a, I actually have a colleague in the U.S. Um, 
who's I think due to come out and visit. He's also a lighthouse buff, and he's based in Texas. So mm-hmm. hardly how many lighthouses are around that part of the world? But uh, funny enough, it's it's a it's remarkable who comes through and people who pop in and um, tell you that they've visited every single lighthouse in the country, for example, or they've travelled to this one overseas and everybody said really is a niche, a niche uh, market for um, people who want to visit. When you say visited every lighthouse in the country, you're talking about the U.S. or South Africa? No, this particular couple was South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in the midst of the renovation and they were passing through. And I think it was the first lighthouse that they'd been able to climb up the tower because I gave them access and they were obviously delighted. But it, it's, something that, it's, it's something that if you've if the bug has bitten, it seems to bite quite hard. Mm-hmm. People become very passionate about about lighting. Oh, I know. Believe me, I I know. I've been doing this for about 40 years, so I know how passionate people are about it. Uh, and I hope I can come visit you sometime. I really do. Please, so, please. yeah, I, I really hope so. So, Wesley, uh, just a, a little bit more maybe about, could you tell me uh, what your background was and how you came to be involved with uh, the restaurant there at the Lighthouse? Um, it's a peculiar set of chances, really. Um, so I grew up. I grew up as a as a kid working in restaurants, and uh, found myself fortunate uh, to work within the, some of the best restaurants in the world. I circulated mainly in fine dining, and um, ran one one really good restaurant in Cape Town, and a couple, well, one about five five of them, which were always ranked quite highly in the fine dining area, and then within the San Pellegrino world top 50 uh, and was very fortunate through a young chef to travel a lot and travel and, and cook in the US and UK and Italy and Japan and made my way around experiencing. Um, but yeah, when obviously COVID hit and restaurants, you know, became pretty obsolete during that time. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird time for everyone, but uh, through a set of friends and and word and connection that I actually wanted to move out to Cape St. Francis with my my family. I've uh, got a young son and my wife, and we wanted to move out here and start something small and simple and kind of get by, you know, a more humble humble life than cooking for celebrities and <laughs> and journalists. Um, mm. But by that chance, is uh, yeah, Paul reached out to me um, and and flew me out to come see the project with other partners. And um, it's kind of all history from there. Um, but it was such a weird... So coming from Cape Town, which is extremely busy and, and you know, very cosmopolitan city and really to move here was a completely opposite end of the world. And yeah, but it was, it was something exciting. It was like a, a new challenge. It was, a, uh, it was such a weird... Thing to okay, we're coming to a lighthouse to start a restaurant in the middle of nowhere and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. I bet, yeah, it was something that we couldn't really turn down. Yeah, I can see that. Where in the U.S. did you work? Um, so I spent some time only in New York, uh, but I spent a lot of time in Italy and and uh, South America. And yeah, usually what I did was I did stints. So I, I I was a head chef at a restaurant in Cape Town, and then in my holiday time, what I do is I'd go work for free. Um, we call it staging. So I do an internship. So I was still a head chef in Cape Town, but the restaurant would close and for its annual break, I would go abroad and then work in someone else's kitchen just, just to learn more. <laughs> Those are my holidays for like 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sounds like you probably haven't had a whole lot of time off in all those years. No, it's I think we must throw in, a, a, you did a, cent, a stint at Central. Yeah, so Central, which has just been voted best restaurant in the world. Where is that so, again? Peru. In Peru in, in, uh, in Lima. Yeah. I was quite fortunate because once you're in that tier bracket of world top 50 restaurants, it's like a little bit of a club. So, yeah, you know, you have access to everyone's um, emails quite easily. So, you know, no one's really turning down free labor either. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, so it, you know, it was, it's, it was, I was, fortunate, like I said, I was very fortunate. So, when I worked in Italy, it was, I worked at, uh, for Massimo Vettura, and that was number one when I was there in 2005. Was, that was number one in the world. And wow. then, um, yeah, Lima, Lima and Peru, that was actually just voted last month as number one. Um, so no, it's been it's been fun, but it's it's all just like adding adding knowledge 
uh, and supporting supporting your business in the background. You know, you don't you don't use the you know the the, the dishes or the techniques, but it's how to run a business and why they do things and and uh, forward thinking momentum. It's it's just sharing sharing you know like minded brainwaves that help your business run forward. Well, you have a very impressive background for sure. The food is good. I'm sure it is. Uh, so we we at- won um, Best Destination Restaurant with the National Awards, uh, Woolworths Eat Out Awards last year. So that's hats off to Wesley and, and, and his wife, Juliet. So in our first year of operation, we got a pretty significant South African award. That is fantastic. So the, the restaurant is called Nevermind. Why is it hmm. called that? Well, that's Paul's one. So that's my fault. Um, <laughs> uh, so we started this project. I mean, we, we negotiated with uh, the Transnet Ports Authority, as I mentioned, for a couple of years. And in about March 2020, we were locked down in South Africa, as most of the rest of the world was. And we had we were sort of just secured our, sort of our deal with Transnet and the lease and so on. They were amazed, by the way, that we wanted to continue because if, you know, we tend to forget, but things were pretty bleak back then, especially for tourist-related uh, uh, ventures. So we pushed ahead. And I think, you know, the, the project became, I think particularly for me, it became all-consuming, but also for the team of, of artisans, local artisans that we employed on site. And we were here every day, all day. And it was really, it was a once-in-a-lifetime project. And it was very... It was very important to get it right because it's a very public-facing project, and that comes with a certain amount of pressure. And it just became much more than opening a restaurant. It came to signify a lot more. Just being on the precinct when you do come and visit, you'll 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 see it's just a very, it's a very soulful, it's a restorative type of place. And during that time, a lot of people went through really serious hardships, difficulties, lost people, lost loved ones. So it came to signify much more than the restaurant. It's it's more of a place sort of, I think that pandemic period put things in perspective that what you think you've got can be taken from you very fast and the world turns quickly and things, uh, things change fast. So it's really kind of, never mind, you know, it's, things will be okay. We want, to, we, want, we want it to be that kind of place. Yeah, kind of put your cares behind you. Uh... That's, that's the philosophy behind it. Um, don't, okay. take it too, don't take things too seriously, I think. You know? And I think Wes and I had a meeting of minds and sort of philosophy about, you know, you made it clear to me that we don't want to be the best restaurant. You know, he's done that. We've, we want to be the favorite restaurant is the way you put it to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, right. It all makes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, best restaurant and favorite restaurant are not, not necessarily the same things. Yeah, definitely not. So what sort of uh, dishes do you serve at the restaurant? I know the menu is actually on the website, so people can look at that. And before you answer that question, uh, either one of you remind me uh, what the website is, the, the address. Is it sealpointlighthouse.com. That's pretty, uh, pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, sealpointlighthouse.com. Yeah. Uh, so what do you uh, serve at the restaurant? So the food, the food's menu is ever changing, and it's kind of whatever we whatever we feel like cooking at the time. The restaurant's still growing. You know, we're only in our second year, and as business terms, you know, the second year in your business is, is still an infant, um, so it doesn't have a real identity yet. So it'll always change and ever be changing. So we, I focus on, I always focus on um, as much local produce as I can get my hands on, and. Just, Try and find the best quality stuff because that's that's my building block always has to be the best. So started hunting a lot of venison. Um, you know we're in a, we're in a crazy part of the world here where we have a, an amazing ocean that's in front of us and mountains behind us, um, and we have an incredible wildlife spectrum behind us that uh, a lot of people don't use. Everyone's very used to standard chicken, beef. You now it's normal, but we started hunting a lot last year and using the venison within the restaurant. Um, and it became a bit of a game changer. Um, just the quality of the meat was fantastic. And it was a rarity because no one, you don't really see it, you know. 
So that was that was actually that was actually been really fun. The, the fish that we use, we only use local fish that's caught here in Cape St. France, the oysters, we have wild oysters that come off the rocks. Um, and yeah, I try and cook without uh, putting too much pretense, pretentiousness on it. And uh, I, I've got to be very careful not to not to push ideas too hard and uh, and be aware that um, you know it's 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 a local driven restaurant. So it's it's got to be for the locals. If that means that they want to come a lot and they've got to come often, the menu's got to change rapidly and fast to keep them coming in and keep everyone happy and keep them interested and. Yeah, the, the locals, the local, the local ethos is the backbone of, of what the lighthouse is. So it's 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 more important than anything that we look after our community. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good philosophy to me. So it's such a beautiful location there. Do you have outdoor seating as well as indoor? We have ocean on either side of us. Um, we're on a finger fingerling of land on the point where you have ocean at 270 degrees there's there's not a seat there's not a seat in the restaurant that you can't see the ocean um as we speak now we've got 15 whales southern southern humpback whales just reaching in front of us wow they, they stick around here for about three or four months of the year so yeah you hear most wow it's quite a display we're watching right now actually really uh, yeah. i wish i wish we me and the listeners i wish we could see that We'll wow. have to send you some video. We'll take yeah. we'll, it, it's it's a frequent occurrence this time of year. Yeah, yeah. ages, and the other morning we had a a pot of uh, orcas swim past, and they one of them actually nailed a seal, uh, flinging a seal about thirty to forty feet between oh, each other. So yeah, so that's 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 when you're sitting on the on the deck of the restaurant having a cup of coffee in the morning. That's that's your view. Yikes! So it's a, it's a pretty spectacular setting. You don't you don't get a better setting. Yeah. Are there sharks around there? Absolutely. Yeah, they love. Yeah, it's a sharky part of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a scary. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. But yeah, but they've got plenty of other food that mm -hmm. I need to. Do you serve shark? Is that one of the local fish you use or no? No, they're not caught around here. It's not. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, even if they did catch it, they wouldn't be able to sell it. So it's it's pointless for the fishermen. They don't they don't waste their time. Yeah. Um, it seemed um, like it was sort of fashionable here for a while, but not so much now. There's no reason I think the meat's perfectly good. It's just, you know, it's all about a, a market price. And it has, if it doesn't have a market price, what's the point of catching it? Yeah. I think um, some species are protected here. I'm not quite well, sure. Yeah, I mean, like great whites are protected out here, but it's yeah, ragged tooth. And there's, no, there's no reason to plant. You know. mm -hmm. But yeah, but, um, yeah, well, there's, yeah, great whites are all protected along here. And, but yeah, there's a there's a, there's a lot of wildlife out here. The the ocean's really really alive. It's it's you know, with wild waters and wild waves. It's wild wild mm -hmm. ocean life. Seals. Yeah, there are. They said the, the the two points of the bay are seal point and shark point. So that kind of tells you that there's everything in between. Um, yeah. We're not overrun. We're not overrun with seals, um, but certainly they, they, mm -hmm. they are. Penguins. Well, they don't actually belong here i mean there was a penguin rehab center there used to be a penguin rehab center on the precinct in one of the buildings mm -hmm. they relocated to uh, to port elizabeth which is the nearest big city about 100 kilometers from here uh that was about four five five years ago perhaps mm -hmm. they relocated but yeah no yeah they were very lost already in the yeah they, they, they oh okay gone. All right, so uh, we should probably start talk stop talking about the wildlife. I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about, but uh, people, if they go there, if they're not staying overnight or eating in the restaurant, I don't know why they wouldn't do either of those things, but if they're just visiting for a fairly short time, are there uh, lighthouse tower are tours available as well? Yep, yep. Every day we do between 10 and 2. Um, we have... We call we call him the lighthouse keeper, but his his name is Rufus, and he he's, he's more he's our maintenance caretaker. He's been on the project since day one, and um, I think he's more knowledgeable than probably both of us <laughs> on the lighthouse at the moment. Now, this is the amount of talks he's given on it, but he gives the tour. He gives the tour every day, um, and it's quite nice. What what Paul and the partners did is um, we charge a fee for the tours, and uh, all the proceeds uh, from that are distributed between two charities that we specifically only donate to. 
and um, uh, we keep a little portion aside to help up with the maintenance of the of the lighthouse as well. But yeah, so it's 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 pretty much all charity driven just on the tours. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, how many? How tall is the lighthouse? I, if I remember right, ninety one. Well, ninety one feet. That's we you know we use feet and meters. That's uh, twenty. How many? Twenty eight. Twenty eight meters, which makes it the tallest masonry structure on the South African coast. Do I remember that right? Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Do you know how many steps in the lighthouse? I would guess there's a uh, hundred or so steps. <laughs> About one hundred and fifty, I think. One hundred and fifty. Wow. It's pretty high up there. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you, uh, you were talking about the place being very restorative. There's also something called uh, Salt, a studio on the site. Uh, can you say a bit about that? What happens there? So I, um, we've got a long-term goal here with this, the, the control of the precinct. So we have five buildings on the, on the precinct. So the idea is to get the whole precinct working um, in harmony. Um, you know, it's, you've got to be on here and all, everything lends to each other. So Salt was our third edition. So we started with the, the restaurants and the lighthouse accommodation and then the end building turned into Salt. And Salt was like a, a really nice little wellness studio. So there are there's a studio in there where they do yoga classes and Pilates and, and dance classes. And uh, in the back of that house, we've done uh, rentable uh, rooms for physicians. Um, so doctors or physios or anything of those they can all rent out so it's almost like renting a hot desk for doctors um, the idea being that there's a lot of a lot of young families and moms that used to work uh, when they were in Cape Town or Joburg but when they moved here there wasn't a necessity for office but they still had clients so now they can wrap up you know all their clients and rent out their office for for the day and uh, yeah so that's so it's it's, it's actually really nice it's like, Brings us a whole bunch of foot traffic. First thing in the morning at six thirty, there's there's fifteen cars in the parking lots, and everyone's everyone's in yoga class, and the, that customer trickles over to the restaurant for coffee afterwards. So, yeah, it was a, a nice it was a nice little addition. It is, it is. You know, there's uh, quite a few lighthouses where you can stay overnight. There's uh, some that have restaurants, but I don't know of any that have a have uh, accommodations a restaurant and a, a studio of that type it's uh, pretty unique i think yeah well it's so, like as paul mentioned it's it's this lighthouse is it's so embedded in the community uh, it belongs more to the the community than it does to us so we have to we have to facil facilitate that you know mm -hmm. so um to have them drive down here first thing in the morning from the house in the cold and uh, have them around for the day you know the idea is we want we want to keep people on the precinct for as long as possible Come in, come in, and you you got your morning plans and coffee and meeting friends and you know move them through the afternoon into the evening. It's 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 all just happens all on one one estate. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. You were saying, uh, Paul, you were talking about the, the area there being a holiday destination. Now, I imagine there are other activities for people to do when they come to that area. Yeah, we, we're an important tourist destination at the lighthouse, but. We have many friends and colleagues also uh, living in this town who, uh, who also have uh, fantastic uh, tourist destinations to visit in Cape St. Francis and St. Francis Bay. There are loads of good restaurants. Um, there's the canal system. There's a beautiful beach. The Cape St. Francis beach is just magnificent, which is right here on our doorstep. There's a coast down the other way called the Wild Side, which we're looking at down right now, which is... Uh, a rock, more rocky type of coast heading towards the Cape Town direction, which is just fantastic to explore. Incredible fauna, flora. It's just inland, there's the Babiansk wilderness area. Within an hour's, couple of hours drive, you get to the Eastern Cape Big Five game area, which are some of the most magnificent game farms, uh, game reserves in the country. Really just a drive away, short drive away. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot to do. There's the beautiful Crom River, it's uh, it really is not only for the Seal Point Lighthouse, just generally, it's a really, really good place. Yeah, it's a world class golf course, golf course, um, yeah, yeah world class golf, golf courses, and fishing, and whale watching, and amazing surf if you're a surfer. So, it's yeah, ticks, ticks a lot of the boxes, a lot to do. <laughs> that sure sounds like it, yeah, sounds amazing. We just established a helicopter or restored a helicopter mm -hmm. landing area at the precinct as well. So there will be the opportunity to, to fly in right to the 
Lighthouse Precinct. Mm -hmm. Scenic flights park. available possibly as well. People want to yes. do uh, aerial fine. photography. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there's, an, there's an airfield um, literally in Cape, between Cape St. Francis and St. Francis Bay, perhaps two kilometers from where we're sitting right now. Mm -hmm. So that's a very active airfield. Um, so you can fly in. And then, as I said, we've got the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. So do you have fixed when you fixed wing you can fly into the, the landing ship here in, uh, in Cape St. Francis, and then the, obviously helicopter we we put the facility down uh, where they can land in. Um, Port Elizabeth is the most closest international airport, and it's an, it's an hour's drive from here. It's worth up to 15, 20 minutes helicopter flight. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was just going to mention the um, U.S. Lighthouse Society, uh, and this is the official U.S. Lighthouse Society podcast, does tours all over the world. And there was a South African tour. I forget, I'd have to look it up to remember exactly when it was. I was not on it. But uh, within the last few years, there has been a, a society tour to South Africa. I hope there will be another one. Uh, I think the last time there was one, I don't think you were open there. Um, I think it was pre-pandemic, so hopefully that'll be happening again. I sure hope I can get to go along on that one, but uh, I imagine that the, the next time the society does a tour in South, South Africa, they will visit you. Uh, Terrific. Look forward yeah. to that. No, it really is one of the most beautiful lighthouses um, as well from an architecture and position points. It's, it's really, really uh, unbelievable what they built here, especially when they built it. Right. And where, yeah, being so isolated and everything. So we already mentioned the website, uh, which is sealpointlighthouse.com. Do people book accommodations right through the website? Is that is that possible? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Are you also on social media? Yes, we are. It's um, seal, at sealpointlighthouse um, underscore Capes and Francis. And um, nevermind underscore Capes and Francis is on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we both we keep both pretty updated and current and, and what's happening. Okay, I have one final question for both of you, and you can uh, fight amongst yourselves as far as who uh, answers first. And this is for bonus points. Okay, the question is, what have you enjoyed most about your work at the Seal Point Lighthouse? Well, it's an easy one for me if I can go. It's the it's the smiles on the staff's faces and the customers' faces. That's everything. You know, if it wasn't for that, it would have been a pretty pointless exercise. So that that's the motivation. And it's a strong motivation. We created 40, roughly 40 new jobs. And in a, in a country that desperately needs new jobs through this venture so far. And, and that's a tremendously gratifying thing. And, and, through, and through unskilled labor as well. We, you, you remember here, we're talking about uplifting from the community that had zero skills. So we're introducing skills from ground zero. Um, no, it's been it's yeah yeah that's it's it's pretty important. I think I think the most gratifying point about being here is what we're trying to create here is by no means easy. You know, as in we're like I said, we were in a remote place. There isn't you know thousands of people around us, but what we're doing it in it's not a it's not a closed box. It's not a a standard room we're working with ever. It's, it's all unique and we open to the elements and um, whatever we create, it takes a lot more thought and a lot more forward thinking about everything. It's the challenges every single day, but it makes it makes it really interesting. So the, the challenge, the challenge is the interesting part. It, it really is how to make it work. And yeah, you, you know, like Paul was saying easier, we can't, we can't pop this up. We've got to get it right. Because it does, it means, it means a lot, not only to us, our staff, but also the community that we live in. Well, obviously, both of you have a real passion for this, this project. It's great to hear. And from where I sit, you're doing things right uh, for the community, for the public at large. Uh, it looks like you're doing uh, pretty much everything right, as far as I can tell. So, so congratulations on all that's been accomplished there and uh, on uh, what you're doing in general. And Paul and Wesley, I want to thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast. And like I said, I hope to come there sometime and meet you in person, possibly with the U.S. Lighthouse Society tour. That is definitely my hope. But just uh, keep up the good work. Great, great talking with you today. Thank you, Jeremy. That's uh, very kind of you to reach out to us and be very, very pleased to be able to chat to you. Thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you. Yeah.
To learn more, go to sealpointlighthouse.com. There's information on the accommodations, the menu at the restaurant, and lots more on the site. Seal Point really looks like one of the most amazing lighthouse operations I've seen anywhere. As I said in the interview, where else can you find a beautiful and historic lighthouse in spectacular surroundings with overnight accommodations, a restaurant, and a yoga studio? Nowhere? Right answer. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn more about all the things the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers, including unique tours, preservation grants, the passport program, and much more. Remember that donations and membership help support this podcast. Before we sign off today, I want to mention that two friends in the lighthouse world have passed away recently. Bruce Roberts, who had a long and very distinguished career as a photographer and also as an author of lighthouse books, passed away in June in North Carolina and Tom Chisholm of Michigan uh, passed in late June. Tom and his wife Darlene took part in dozens of the U.S. Lighthouse Society's tours over the years and photographed more than 4,400 lighthouses worldwide. Uh, I just saw them, Darlene and Tom, on the uh, tour, Long Island, New York tour in May. Both Tom and Bruce were just the nicest guys and they will be missed greatly. So do you have a quote, Cindy? I do. The Roman philosopher Seneca once said, quote, The comfort of having a friend may be taken away, but not the comfort of having had one, unquote. We will be back with a new episode next week. For now, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine